all the information you can look forward to that. So, Father, we ask that you bless the study tonight, that you would uh, just touch our hearts with your words, stir our hearts, and even as Hosea, that he's going to feel the heart of God in this difficult situation that, that he is in, Lord, as he has a message to give to a nation that is um, committing spiritual adultery. But, Lord, he is feeling your heart, a deep level of fellowship and understanding before he gives a difficult message. So, Lord, bless this time in the study of your word through this book, Hosea. As we start a new book, is, there's always just, it's wonderful to, to be in your word in these books that can be so much ignored in the church today or even in our own devotion time. So we have the privilege of studying um, this, um, this prophet that was on the scene uh, 2,800 years ago, um, and these words are for us. So teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the book of Hosea, which starts the minor prophets. Now in the Old Testament, as we've gone through the Old Testament, we find ourselves uh, through this last section of the Old Testament. Remember, the first five books uh, are the books of Moses, and then you have the historical books, starting with Joshua, that goes through all the way through the book of Esther. You have Joshua, then Judges, 400 years of them rebelling. First and Second Samuel, which begins to, to uh, tell us about how they, uh, the people of God, uh, even though they had put away those idols, the days of the judges are over. Saul was the first king. They asked for a king, and then David became the king. Uh, all those chapters that we read about how Saul uh, pursued David in the wilderness because of his jealousy and hatred towards David. And then uh, David becomes the king and, uh, in 2 Samuel. Then First and Second Kings, we see how the nation split to ten northern tribes that called the House of Israel, uh, beginning with Jeroboam, and all the kings were idol worshipers, and then the House of Judah. And we see the kings mentioned in Israel and in Judah in First and Second Kings. And then First and Second Chronicles, just speaks of the kings of Judah. Uh, and we continue with the historical uh, books that go through the book of, um, of Esther. So, uh, you know, we uh, have the post-Babylonian books that are there that finish up the historical books. And then the books of the prophet uh, that begins in Isaiah. And, and those, uh, the final section of the Old Testament is divided up into, as most of you know, the major prophets, uh, oh, I need to back up, the prophetic books. I forgot about the prophetic books, which comes after the historical books. And that begins with Job, Job and Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Uh, those are the, um, per, uh, per, uh, perfect, uh, the poetic books. And we've gone through all those books. And then the books of the prophets, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. What a privilege it was to go through those books. And uh, it ends with Daniel. We will go over Daniel on Sunday mornings later this fall. And now the final section, Hosea, 12 books of the minor prophets. And that will finish the Old Testament. But going through these books like what we have, it really helps us to understand, as we understand the historical uh, books, and the kings that were ruling during that time, what was happening, what's recorded to, in the house of Israel and in the house of Judah, we get better understanding of the setting here as we go into 
for example, Hosea, um, and how he's speaking to a nation uh, that needed to be uh, spoken to God's word. And the minor prophets, uh, they're not minor uh, in what they had to say, but their books are shorter. And many of them, the minor prophets, because as we went into Isaiah, Isaiah spoke some to the house of Israel, but a lot of his ministry was to the house of Judah. Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel speaking to the house of Judah. Many of these minor prophets are speaking to the house, the northern kingdom, the house of Israel, such as Hosea was. Historically, as we open up the book of Hosea chronologically, uh, it puts this uh, book in the prophet uh, during the first half of the 8th century, so about 799 to 750 B.C. The Assyrians, who were the powerhouse of that time, we talked a lot about the Babylonians for the last several weeks as we've gone through Jeremiah, as we've gone through uh, Ezekiel. The Babylonians were the ones that took the house of Judah away captive beginning in 605 B.C. But before that, we know the ten northern tribes were taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the power uh, house of the known world. They, they were the great empire that took over the known world. They were very brutal. And we know that um, as they were coming to power, that actually during the time of Hosea, the Assyrians, their influence had actually declined. And it allowed the, the house of Israel and uh, the house of Judah to really prosper and flourish both militarily and economically. Uh, during the time of Hosea, we know that um, it was under Jeroboam II. You read about him in 2 Kings chapter 14. Uzziah in the south, 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Uzziah was a very strong king that uh, made Judah very, very prosperous, strong militarily. He ruled for 52 years. That's when, after his death, Isaiah comes on the scene because remember that it was in chapter 6 of Isaiah that when I saw, when the year that uh, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up that vision that Isaiah had of the Lord and the, the glory, the train of his uh, glory filled the temple and then he heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall go for us? And it was Isaiah that said, send me. And so he's ministering during that time after the time of Uzziah. So here uh, we know that, um, that even though Israel up north was prospering during this time that Hosea is on the scene, uh, they were prospering militarily. They were strong materially, economically, but spiritually they were very, very sick. And the ten northern tribes, all of their kings, beginning with Jeroboam I, remember that after the death of Solomon, the nation was united. Solomon had ruled for 40 years during that time of the greatest peace and power and prosperity in Israel, following the, the uh, you know, uh, coattails and benefiting from the coattails of David, his father, who had defeated the enemies all around Israel. Solomon built the first temple. He, there was great prosperity, but Solomon began to worship idols. And we know that as he died, that Rehoboam comes on the scene, his son, and he is king. 
And it is during his reign that the ten northern tribes broke away, and Jeroboam was the first king of Israel. I believe there was 19 kings of Israel before they went off into captivity by the Assyrians in, in 722 B.C. Actually, ten years before that, 732 B.C., those two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River would go off into captivity, and then the final uh, rest of the, the tribes would go off the, the house of Israel in 722 B.C. But we, we know that Jeroboam I, he didn't want the people to go to Jerusalem to worship there at the temple, so he sets up two uh, places of idol worship with the golden calf, one in Dan, and I've been there many times. Some of you have been there in our trips to Israel. We go to that site where they've excavated, clear up by the Lebanon border uh, in Dan, very beautiful place. And they had made that temple dedicated to the golden calf. He also made one in Bethel. And he said, go to those places and here's the golden calf, worship the golden calf. And idol worship was a part of the house of Israel from that point on. That plays a role here in what Hosea is saying. And, of course, it played a role in what the prophets were saying to the house of Israel. But also idol worship became a problem to the house of Judah during, you know, the reigns of the kings during that time. Some of the kings were good, put those idols away, but then they would fall right back into idol worship to where eventually they were taken off into captivity. So all these things that we have looked at. So God, at this time, as we open up Hosea and raising up a prophet in about 755 B.C., called Hosea, his name means salvation. He's on the scene at the end of Jeroboam II's reign and Uzziah's reign in the south. And Hosea's ministry would continue to about 710 B.C. So he ministered for close to 50 years. And during this time, God also, just by way of interest, would raise up a prophet, Amos, who was a fig picker and up north, and Isaiah and Micah were prophesying in the southern kingdom. So just a little bit of background. In about 750 B.C., the Assyrians began to strengthen in power to where they be, would become the world power to take the northern kingdom captive in 722 B.C. And, and as we, we know that um, they would come in and take those uh, the ten northern tribes away captive, Hosea, as he begins to speak to this nation, he's warning them. He's warning them. First of all, he talks to them about their sin, that they had been unfaithful to God, that they had turned their backs against him. Second of all, that this judgment was going to come if they didn't repent, even though things look good and prosperous, it won't last. And here's the thing to remember, even with their own nation, even uh, with their own lives, even with the life of a church, externally things can seem to look good. Uh, it can seem prosperous, uh, everything's going good, strong economy, strong military, but if a nation is sick spiritually, um, there's, they're going to reap the consequences of that. And we talked about that on the 4th of July um, that blesses a nation whose God is the Lord. And then sin is a reproach to any nation. And we also know that even in a church, a church, they can look prosperous. They got big buildings. They got a lot of programs. They got a lot of things that are going on externally. Everything looks good, but yet they're sick spiritually. They're not healthy spiritually. 
And we need to always keep in mind that it's the spiritual health that is the priority. God will take care of everything else. It reminds me of the lukewarm church, the church at Laodicea. And they were ones that they considered themselves wealthy. Uh, Jesus writing to them said, Because you say, church of Laodicea, that I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And because you are lukewarm, Jesus gives that very stern word to them that I'm about ready to vomit you out of my mouth. So that's a study for another time. And we've looked at that before. But here judgment was going to come. And, and even in, in Jerusalem, as we saw through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that there were the false prophets that were on the scene that were saying, listen, nothing's going to happen to Jerusalem. We have the temple. They were putting their trust in the temple. Everything's going to be okay. And they refused to hear the message from these prophets on the scene. And then thirdly, salvation, that God's desire was to, to save them and will speak of his everlasting love for them and giving them a message of hope. And, and that's the pattern that we've seen in Isaiah, that we've seen in Jeremiah, that we saw in Ezekiel, that even though there was harsh words of judgment, if they didn't turn from the Lord or turn back to the Lord and turn away from their idol worship, that there would be uh, judgment that would come, which actually happened. But there was always words of hope. There's always words of restoration. There's always words uh, of hope in the Lord and turning to him. And that's what we always want to give people. We don't want to just leave people in their sin. Well, you're a sinner. You're going to, you know, um, go to hell and, and all of this. We want to tell them there's a way out. And that is turn to Jesus Christ. Tell them the gospel. Turn to his love. Repent. Turn to the cross. So as I look at Hosea, I think that he compares, as we go through this book, particularly as we go through the first three chapters, in many respects to Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, even Ezekiel. And what I mean by that is Hosea is going to be in a difficult situation. And uh, he is going to go through a heartbreaking personal experience. And then he's going to give a message. And many of you know that Hosea is going to be told to take a wife of harlotry. And she's going to come out, go out and commit spiritual adultery and, and bear children out of that. And Hosea is going to be heartbroken. And Hosea has a very difficult message to give to a nation. But God is allowing him to feel what's going on in the heart of God. And as we've gone through Isaiah, remember that Isaiah, he would weep at the message that he would have to give to a nation. He's very tender-hearted. We know that Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, that he would shed tears in the message that he would give. Daniel, when he was in uh, the, the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, serving Nebuchadnezzar, who was a hothead, who was very you know, arrogant, one who was the most powerful man on the face of the earth, when he would interpret that, that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, that he was going to be chopped down. He, you're the tree there in uh, chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. And Daniel, he said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I wish this wasn't true for you, but you're going to go insane for seven years, and you're going to be like a wild animal. God's going to humble you. And we know that Daniel was very humbled by that message, and he was very concerned for Nebuchadnezzar. And I think that's an important consideration here. 
Because Hosea, before you give this message of judgment and difficulty that's going to come to a nation, I want you to feel what is in my heart, the Lord is saying. As the nation has committed spiritual adultery, then I'm going to have you go through this hard, personal, painful experience of marrying somebody out of that's involved in being a harlot. And he was experiencing some of the same things that were going on in the heart of God that he would experience, Hosea the prophet, and then it would cause him out of the brokenness of what he was going through and the pain and just the, the sadness and sorrow, he would then give a message. Here's the thing, that we who teach the word of God there is the, the message of judgment will come to anyone who does not turn to Jesus Christ and repent of their sins and come to him in faith to the cross at Calvary, who Jesus is, what he did for us, believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us a living hope. There is going to be judgment. The great white throne judgment is very real, and hell is real. Uh, the lake of fire for all eternity but we want to be able to give that with a heart that is humble. And as we look at people that are lost, as we look at the people around us in our lives that are linked to us, and whether that's family members or friends or coworkers or neighbors, whoever it might be, that we want to weep when we see that they reject the Lord, the message of the Lord. It should cause sorrow in our heart. It isn't that we, aha, you know, Lord, you need to judge, you know, this nation. You need to judge, you know, those lefties. You need to judge, you know, whatever. Uh, you need to judge those people that are full of sin and, oh, just wringing our hands, can't wait for it to happen and kind of having a mindset that God's up in heaven going, ha, 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 ha. We saw in Ezekiel that Ezekiel, you know, the Lord said that he doesn't delight in judgment of the wicked. Yes, judgment will come because he's a just God. But as we see people who are in rebellion against God and are living in darkness and sin, yes, it concerns us. We have a message that we don't back down from. The message of the gospel and the message of what happens if you reject the Lord. But it should cause us to be heartbroken it, because God is heartbroken. His desire is, Paul would write, that all men should be saved. Peter writes that his desire is that none shall, you know, that all shall come to repentance and to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so Hosea is feeling that, that the Lord is heartbroken, that he's going to have to bring judgment to a nation. So, um, you know, when we have to give difficult messages to somebody that, you know, part of the gospel message is what happens, you know, good news that you don't have to be separated from God. Jesus came because of his love for you and died for you and he loves you. But there is eternal consequences if you don't turn to Jesus. And when we see somebody who refuses to do that in a nation, it should cause us to grieve over our nation and over our neighbors and co-workers. So let's begin to look at Hosea as we see in verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So again, the time frame of this ministry is given to us. We don't know anything about Hosea except that he was the son of Berai. 
And here are the names of the kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah are named. And Uzziah, I've already talked about, that at his death, then Isaiah comes on the scene. He begins to, to speak to them, and he was a good king. He ended up uh, not finishing well. Uh, what happened was is that Uzziah went into the temple, and he was burning incense. And the priest came in and said, Uzziah, you can't do that. You're the king. Only the priests are allowed in here. And Uzziah said, bug off. I'm going to do this. And he ended up being hit with leprosy and died of leprosy. Uh, Jothan, he was a good king, reigned for a short time. Now, um, when Ahaz came on the scene in Judah, he was a terrible king. He was probably as bad uh, uh, or almost as bad as Manasseh. Manasseh ruled the longest uh, in Judah after this, after Hezekiah. And he ruled for 55 years, and he plunged the nation deep, deep into idol worship. At the end of Manasseh's life, it gives indication in Second Chronicles, I believe, that he repented of that. But he had plunged the nation deep, deep into idol worship. But Ahaz, he was one that was an evil king. Uh, he was one that we see that Isaiah came to and said, uh, as uh, he was feeling the pressure from Syria and Israel was going to attack him and kill him. And Isaiah says, you know, it's not going to happen. Ask for a sign from the Lord. And Ahaz said, I won't ask for a sign from the Lord because his heart wasn't right. And then Isaiah would say that then God's going to give you a sign. And that is that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And I believe that's in Isaiah chapter uh, 7 that we read about that. And, and then um, we know that Ahaz uh, would have idols brought in. He tried to make an alliance uh, there with uh, the uh, king of Assyria, giving gold and silver to him. He goes up and pays tribute to him in all of this. So he was a terrible king. And then also, uh, as we read about Hezekiah, he's a great king, brought revival in the land, uh, celebrated the Passover. He was a good king. And Jeroboam and all the kings up north, as I've already mentioned, were uh, bad kings. And the house of Israel went from bad to worse. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as we continue in verse 2. But when the Lord began to speak to Hose by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now here's the interesting thing. God tells Hosea to take a wife of harlotry. And apparently um, she is one that has a record of unfaithfulness. Um, and it seems to indicate to me as you read this that that continues. Now why would God do that? Again, Hosea is going to experience in his heart what God was experiencing in his heart concerning an unfaithful nation. Now, some commentators have a hard time with God asking Hosea to do this. They say that, as they try to explain it, what we're reading away, that, that maybe this marriage was just allegorical or a visionary, an attempt to kind of sidestep the, the uh, moral issue of marrying a harlot. Um, it's interesting uh, that some have suggested that Gomer, um, which means her name means completion, would prove to be unfaithful in what the text indicates 
you know, after she uh, marries uh, Jose here, and um, that, uh, you know, um, that she became a harlot afterwards. So God would call his prophets to do difficult tasks. Uh, we know that Isaiah was told that he's to walk barefoot for a number of years and in his undergarments, and Ezekiel lay on your side for 390 days. Um, so uh, I take what the text just says. She's a, one of harlotry. Uh, the, it's interesting that the priests were told not to take a wife of harlotry, but there's nothing said about a prophet. But be that as it may, she proved to be unfaithful is what the text clearly indicates. And she has children of harlotry because the first one here, that she went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, she conceived and bore him a son. So the, there's going to be three children mentioned here in chapter 1. The first one was born of Hosea, that, that has a son. Uh, the next two, uh, we're going to see that she conceived and bore a daughter and bore a son and bore those two children out of harlotry. But let's continue in verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel at the house of Jehu, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the, the bow, uh, the bow that is of Israel, in the valley of Jezreel. So Jezreel means that God will scatter. And it speaks how God will scatter the nation of Israel uh, as they will be taken off into captivity. Now, as you go through the kings of Israel after Jeroboam, uh, that as you go through the line of kings, there comes a king on this scene that you read about, uh, that his name was Ahab. And you're, you're probably familiar with him. And uh, he had his wife, uh, Jezebel. Uh, they were like the demonic duo of the Old Testament. They, they were wicked. They brought the northern kingdom of Israel into deep Baal worship and Astaroth worship. And God was going to bring judgment on them. But... Um, he was going to use Jehu in doing that. But Jehu went too far. He was the instrument God was going to use to, to bring that judgment. It started when Ahab uh, and Jezebel, they killed Naboth to get his vineyard. That's a story that you can read about as, as you go through the books of the kings. And as you do go through the books of the king, um, you see how they came up with this wicked plan to kill an innocent man. And then it, it was the prophet that came and said that, you, you know, it's going to be bad news for you. And uh, Elijah would say that because of what you have done, uh, this is what's going to happen. And you can read about that uh, as you go through, again, the uh, books of um, First Kings, I'm trying to find uh, the chapter here. Uh, it's chapters, uh, as you go through uh, chapter, uh, you know, um, 18, and uh, that's Mount Carmel. And then as you go through chapters uh, 21 and 22, First Kings, is where you read about that. So that's what happens. So this judgment is pronounced on them. God went too far in being the instrument that God used to bring judgment on Ahab and Jezebel. And what happened was Ahab was killed in battle against Syria, 1 Kings chapter 22. And Jerome became king. Now Jehu, 
He ends up killing Jerome. So this is kind of like a soap opera, the king of Israel. Ahaziah, king of Judah, he gets killed by um, Jehu, plus 42 of his relatives. Jehu's not done yet. He also killed uh, Jezebel. And then uh, 70 sons of Ahab were killed by him, cut off their heads and brought them to, you know, um, he had these guys, he said, listen, you better do what I tell you to do, and, and I want the heads of uh, Ahab's sons, and that's what they did, and brought them to Jehu and Jezreel. So Jezreel was the site of ruthless massacre. Um, you read about that again, uh, Ahab's um, sons being killed in Second Kings 9 and 10, and God did avenge the bloodshed that took place in Jezreel, um, as you continue reading. So as you read this, there's a lot that was going on, a lot of just killing and things like that that took place. But in verse 6 here, some say that Hosea's daughter, um, you know, wasn't really mentioned uh, out of harlotry, but I think the text tells us that because she conceived here, Gomer, and bore a daughter, not to him like the first one, but we see that uh, her name uh, in verse 6 is Lo-Rohama, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. And I will utterly take them away, yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by the bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. So as we continue reading, um, we know that Lo-Rohama uh, means mercy. God had shown mercy to the house of Israel, but they refused to turn away from their sin. And it says that he would show mercy to Judah. He, he would delay because uh, the Assyrians come and they take away the ten northern tribes away in 722 B.C. A couple of years later, they surround Jerusalem and they're about ready to take Judah away captive. And Hezekiah was the king. And Hezekiah cried out to the Lord. He's praying there is... Um, you know, they're going to be destroyed, uh, Jerusalem. And here is the, uh, the king of Assyria, uh, Assyria that's hurling threats at Hezekiah. Again, you can read about that in Isaiah chapter 37, I believe. And we know that what happened was an angel came and destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. And God pretty much destroyed the Assyrian army and they declined in power after that. Judah eventually would go off into captivity um, over 100 years later. But at this time, he did show mercy to Judah in defeating the Assyrians under the reign of Hezekiah, who sought the Lord. But as we see in verse 8, now she had weaned uh, Lo-Rahama. She conceived and bore a son, again by harlotry is the indication here. Then God said, call his name Lo-Ami. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. So no longer will you not see mercy, but they will not be his people. And it is not that God is saying, you know, um, that I'm not going to be your God. It's more accurate that you don't want me to be your God. You don't want me to be your God. It's literally what it means. And, 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 and God wanted to draw them to him. He wanted them to come back to them, but they would not do that. And because of that, I'm not your God. 
And as we continue, now here comes once again a message of restoration that's going to take place. In verse 10, Then the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass, in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it should be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. And they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Says your brethren, My people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. So speaking once again of the day when they will be restored. In the Old Testament, we've gone over that so much um, in, in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And he will fulfill the promise that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the two nations will unite in that day. We saw you know, Ezekiel 37. I refer you to that study. We went over that. A partial fulfillment of that is happening as they're coming back into the land. But the old ultimate fulfillment will be in the millennium reign as Jesus will be their leader. David shall be uh, king over Israel uh, once again as, as we read about that. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's going to be a wonderful, a wonderful time. And we talked about that particularly David the prince as the millennium temple is standing in Ezekiel's chapters 40 through 48. But as we move into chapter 2, say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. So continuing here, um, we see that bring charges against your mother. Bring charges for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Verse 3, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are children of harlotry, for their mother has played the harlot, who has conceived them, has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who will give me my bread and my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, and my drink. So here Hosea, that as he's just you know, bring charges against your mother, bring charges. He's heartbroken here. And he, he deals with this rejection. It's given to us in details. And God's bringing formal charges against Israel. And Gomer had committed physical adultery. Israel had committed spiritual adultery. And the Lord speaking as a husband that has been severely wrong. And the wife Israel has, you know, severed the relationship by her sin and actions. And notice that God calls her to repentance. Um, the wife committing adultery under the law could be stoned. Uh, we know that, and, and we know what the word of God has to say. Uh, but God here is really calling the nation to abandon her adulterous relationship with those idols and other gods. And as we read this, again, um, that God says, verse 3, take note that we read, that I will strip you naked making her an object of shame and ridicule. Uh, we know that, uh, remember Ezekiel chapter 16 indicated adulterer brought naked before the public and then stoned. Um, kind of that uh, imagery they would think of. Uh, remember John chapter 8, the, the woman that was caught in a very act of adultery? She would be brought naked before all of them and her shame before Jesus and thrown on the ground. And the law says, she's to be stoned. Teacher, what do you say? And of course, Jesus writing on the ground. And then he told those religious leaders that he is without sin, cast the first stone. Uh, 
Verse 4 talks about the rejection of, of the wife's children. And, and, and here she's asking, um, who's going to, I want to go after my lovers, who will give me my bread, my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, my drink. Listen, there are people that they will go after the world and they think that they're going to give me everything the world's going to give me, everything to bring me satisfaction and pleasure. And they're going to find that it's a big deception. They will find that that's not where true satisfaction and fulfillment is. It's only found in the Lord. So in verse 6, we read, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in, so that she cannot find her path. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, and then it was better for me than now. For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. She pursued her lovers, but was never satisfied. And if you go after the world, you will never be satisfied. And Israel would, would pursue the Baals, the pleasures, and Israel would find roadblocks and thorns and high walls, verse 6 tells us. And then say, you know, and return to her first love. The Lord is opening a way of restoration, but he desires for them to come and stay there and, and truly believe in him and, and be committed to him. You know, if we pursue the pleasures of the world, thinking that that's going to be my bread, my water, my wool, my linen, oil, my drink, everything, you will find yourself not being satisfied. And they didn't recognize the blessings that they had were from God. They thought it was from Baal. God of agriculture and fertility and, and everything else. Every good gift comes from above. And the blessings that we have come from the Lord. And we can be thankful to him and realize that he provides for us. And he wants to give us so much more. The spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ are so incredible. And therefore I will return, verse 9, we read, and take away my grain in its time, new wine in its season. I will take back my wool and my linen, uh, given to cover her nakedness. I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she says, These are my wages that my lovers has given to me. So I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. In verse 13, I will punish her for the days of the bales, to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry, and went after her lovers. But me she forgot, says the Lord. And so she, God will expose her sin. And speaking of coming judgment in Verse 14, therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there in the valley of Achar as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up from the land of Egypt. So as we continue here, after words of judgment comes words of hope, right? God's mercy on his people. The valley of Achar is mentioned here. That may sound familiar to you because it was Achan that was stoned in Joshua chapter 7 in this valley. It means valley of trouble. And, and they will acknowledge the Lord as, you know, her, her husband. It, the, the, again, the time of restoration that will come that will be uh, yet future. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. 
And I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall remember uh, by their name no more. And that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, the creeping things of the ground, the bow and the sword in battle, and I will shatter from the earth. I will make them lie down safely. In verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So again, just the, the, the judgment speaking of this restoration, that time will come. And we've talked a lot about that going through the books of the prophets. It shall come to pass as we finish chapter 2 in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the earth and I will have mercy on her who did not obtain mercy. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. So after words of judgment comes words of, of hope. And we know that um, it's almost like in verse 19 and 20, this renewal of vows. You know, uh, I'll betroth you. Yes, I'll betroth you in righteousness and judge justice and loving kindness and mercy in faithfulness, the renewal of vows that is here. And then very quickly, chapter 3, just five verses. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I brought her for myself for 15 shekels. I, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one-half homers of of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days, and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be towards you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord in his goodness in, listen, the latter days. So this restoration that will take place in the latter days, the Bible is very clear that that will take place here uh, as we look at uh, chapter 3. God's going to take her back. Um, and we know that, um, you know, the Lord, he's taken us back. We are in slavery to sin. And we've been redeemed not with gold or silver, with the precious blood of the Lamb. And as we consider this, again, just the Lord, his desire for us, if you're in sin or in rebellion or looking for pleasure in the world, turn to him. Turn to him. He's calling you. And just find salvation in him. Find satisfaction and fulfillment in him. And we were made and created to know him. The tremendous spiritual blessings we have and true purpose and fulfillment in life as we commit ourselves to him. Don't go after the idols of the world. Don't go after the world itself. Live for yourself. Live for Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you for this time in your word and, and this message here of, of a brokenhearted prophet that's feeling the heart you when we go after spiritual adultery, go after other things, they become our, our love, forsaking our first love, that is you. And I can't help but think about 
the church of Ephesus, even was so busy that the Lord said, you've forsaken your first love. Come back. And Lord, I pray for anyone that is here tonight that maybe is pursuing the world or pursuing things of the world, have left their first love, that they would come back. Because even though judgment was pronounced, he said, for those that did not have mercy, I will give them mercy. We need your mercy and your grace. And you're there ready to receive us. Just like the father that went to the end of the road to look for the prodigal son to come home. And Lord, I pray that we would always remember that our satisfaction is in you. Not only our salvation, but Lord, our satisfaction and blessing now in this life. So I thank you for these reminders as we go through the book of Hosea. And Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone here and help us through the heat and looking forward to to coming together on Sunday as we finish the 22nd chapter of Matthew. Lord, so keep everybody close to you. Keep ministering your love to us, your goodness and showing your faithfulness to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the week. Hope to see you on Sunday.